0: From the petting zoo to the theater, innovation can sure be entertaining, but without substance, it's draining to put up a front. But how about something better? A daring decision to put innovation into action. Here in advance of BAI's Innovation Summit, we'll talk with a proven master of the craft, Jason Hendricks of FinTech Forge. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that will help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Blue Carloso, the managing editor of BAI. Come on in. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Here we are at the BAI Podcast Studios in Chicago with another Chicagoan, Jason Hendricks. Jason is a managing director for FinTech Forge. And let me tell you about this guy very accomplished. Jason is recognized as an innovator in financial services, creating new business models and using technology to drive change. And we're talking about real change, by the way. He has experience as a founder, venture capitalist, enterprise executive board member, trusted advisor, and startup mentor. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Well,
1: it's about time I was invited into the podcast studio. Last time, you know, you guys just shoved me in a
0: conference room. (laughs) (laughs) They shoved me (laughs) in there too. They didn't want to let me out either. Now, you and J.P. Nichols are leading the Innovation Summit at the BAI Industry Forum in October. Pain points, pain points. It's a cliche, but you have a very crisp view of this. What pain points are you seeing from organizations or business units that lack innovation resources? Well,
1: I'd actually expand and say that oftentimes we even find those who do have innovation resources are feeling the same pain, which is where do we begin? How do we get started? We had a running joke, but it's actually less a joke, now a really qualifying question is when we start engaging with the bank and they come to us, they're like, oh, you know, we've just started an innovation effort. Oh, what have you done? Well, we started a committee, you know, or we have a group that are spending some time. What have you guys been able to do? And then there's this awkward silence and they look at us and they're like, we're kind of hoping that's what you could help us with. You know, if we think about the banking world, what are we really good at doing, is doing things scalably, reliably, and compliantly. And nothing kills learning faster than trying to do something at scale and with 100% reliability, but as regulated entities, you can't do away with the compliance piece. And so whether you have dedicated resource or you're a scrappy bank just trying to do more with what you do have, doing something new requires a new set of tools and a new mindset. Now, we're not saying, hey, throw out everything in how you manage your PMO and other projects. We're saying if you're doing something new, and that's what we define innovation is simply the act of doing something new that we don't have experience with. You need a new set
0: of tools and frameworks. And as we move into that era of new frameworks, new tools, a real commitment to innovation, offline, we spoke about the five-year plan. Let me see if I can get this right. Five-year plan. Dead, 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 dead. (laughs) Yeah, I think I actually may have used some expletives when we were talking about that one. (laughs) So if it's no longer a viable option... For financial services organizations, what do we need to look at instead? Well it's not just financial services, it's we're the
1: last ones who are still clinging to it. Maybe because regulators say, you know, they have a box on your exam that say, Show me your five year plan. And you know, there's one of two approaches that banks will take, which is they either write the five year plan and they follow it dogmatically. Or they write the five-year plan, show it to the regulators, then it goes on a shelf and they go on their merry way and do other things until the next exam. The reason it's dead is the pace of change in not just technology, but the business environment in general means that if you're projecting out five years, you're either ignoring what you've learned along the way, or you're doing something that is not actually causing you to reach and to grow and to expand, which is a slow decline into irrelevance, right? And so, for a lot of financial institutions that have been able to look back and say, "Oh, you know, if you look at since 2008, when federal funds rates you know go practically to zero, and you know lending we've gotten very rigorous and have just kind of taken the cream of the crop," say, "Oh, we've had record profits for nigh on 10 years now. How can you say the world is starting to change?" Well. Now, if you think of the Amazon of the world may not aspire to be a bank, but people are storing an awful lot of money there, and they've gotten into the lending space. They're one of the largest small business lenders out there. You might not say Starbucks wanted to be in the banking world, but I store an awful lot of money there. Why? Because I know I'm going to go spend it. And so the world is encroaching from the retailers are coming into traditional banking spaces, and then a number of banks have themselves decided to become very innovative, either through requiring others, the aqua hire to have new talent, or by partnering with startups or just other providers and in investing not just millions of dollars, but if you look at the biggest banks, billions of dollars are going into their now customer-driven
0: technology organizations. Oh, no, absolutely. When we think about community banks, right, they don't have anything like those kind of resources, on the one hand, they may be scrappier because they're smaller and can pivot more. On the other hand, they lack the resources. What are some of the big challenges that they have to overcome?
1: Well, I think one of the biggest challenges for community banks is actually realizing and changing the mindset and the culture that community is no longer defined by geography that it isn't about our branch footprint and saying oh our competitive advantage is our relationship with our customers you know lots of banks have great relationships with customers there's a difference though between the personal touch and personalized turns out technology does a much better job of delivering personalized of remembering my preferences how old my kids are, aggregating information across disparate sources in a way that that person in the branch isn't going to be able to do for me. But what the community bank does have is a level of intimacy and an ability to say, if I think about my community differently than just what's in my branch, and I begin to tailor products and services that serve my unique demographic, the biggest banks can't actually do that, right? So if I'm a bank in an agricultural area, and I begin to tailor not just to ag and ag lending but begin to think what other services do these banks need and what type of ag takes place is this primarily an agrarian type of ag or you know are these meat producers what other things can i do for my customers that help them manage their business better the chases and bfas of the world that just isn't a big enough market but for a community bank that has that kind of intimacy and relationship with their customers, they have a real opportunity to deliver new products and new services that
0: really do move the needle for them. Absolutely. In fact, we've written about Incredible Bank, a division of River Valley Bank in Wausau, Wisconsin, and they have done a bang up job going after loans for recreational vehicles. There you go. One of our members is the leading provider in the transportation
1: space, right? They bank truck drivers and trucking companies, highly tailored. They have one branch because the trucks aren't going to show up at the branch. So they've had to develop a whole set of digital tools and products that are tailored to that demographic.
0: You also have some exciting stuff going on with Alloy Labs, a consortium you were involved in. Tell us about that.
1: So we developed FinTech Forge really around how do we help the individual bank develop its innovation capacity and the pace of its execution. And we realized that for the majority of community banks, as fast as they can get, as focused as they can get on that innovation, it still isn't going to be enough. You're not going to go out app chase in the number of developers and the amount of energy they're pouring into their innovation effort. And we said, well, there's a really interesting way to approach this, which is, what if we actually have banks work together on their innovation? This brings different perspectives, which improves the efficacy of the innovation, as well as increases the efficiency. And so we've grown that over the course of the last year and a half to 32 banks. And so it's been phenomenal to see how by banks working together,
0: they can actually make a lot faster progress. And banks indeed can work together if given the right opportunity and the right milieu to work in. Yep, exactly. Now let's move out of the community bank into the petting zoo, the fintech petting zoo. What's the new normal around trends and innovations that sidesteps the whole petting zoo concept? Yeah. Well, when I had first brought up the
1: petting zoo, which, by the way, I've recently learned they are now called baby animal encounters. For whatever reason, petting zoo (laughs) is no longer acceptable. But so I grew up on the farm. Right. Intimacy with animals and animal husbandry that when we were talking about innovation, this was on the heels of actually one of the Finnovates. And I'd made the comment to JP that for many of the banks showing up and looking at the startups and saying, oh, look, the cute startups, don't we feel so innovative? We came into contact with the startup. Well, showing up at the petting zoo does not make you a farmer. Right, You may have met the animals, but unless you actually invest in a set of behaviors, you are no better prepared to actually adopt that technology and to make use of it. Now, I think Finnovate, the Innovation Forum, these are great places to go be exposed to ideas. But if you don't change your behaviors, it actually isn't going to change any of your outcomes. So we have to get beyond the petting zoo. It's a great place to start and get inspired, but you actually have to return home and be committed to change.
0: Yeah, in a way, it reminds me of what it must be like to watch a movie as opposed to make a movie and star in a movie. Exactly. You can watch the movie. It probably doesn't make you a great director just yet. And the evil twin, if I may, to the petting zoo is innovation theater. We do have innovators, of course, you being one of them. But the concept is a bit troubling. Why do people still resort to it at all in financial services? And how can they pull away from that? Well, this goes back to where we started, Lou, which is we don't know what else to do.
1: And within the banking world, we're scared of failure, right? We've done everything we can to not just manage risk, but completely eliminate risk. And so those set of behaviors are the ones that say we can't tolerate something not working out. So, innovation theater is a very safe way to satisfy. We need to do something. What do we need to do? We need a lab. What's going to be in the lab? Um, it won't look like everywhere else. People, you know, will dress casually. There will be Legos and other toys there, and it'll have all of you know the idea paint on the walls, so people can write on the walls. Well, what's going to actually happen in the lab? Didn't you hear? We have a lab. We don't need. We, we have a lab. We're being innovative here. And It's not that different. My wife had made this joke that a lot of times when I start a project around the house, she'll see all of the supplies I've accumulated, right? And I've you know made my multiple trips to the hardware store and I've pulled the pieces together. And she's like, have you started yet? I'm like, yeah, look at all of the stuff I have. She goes, yeah, but I don't see any progress towards an outcome. It's like, well, yeah, but when I actually make the first cut into the wood, Well, now I'm committed and things can go horribly wrong. It's a lot easier to make another trip to the hardware store and redesign plans and rethink about what I'm going to do versus actually start to build, right? Getting that level of commitment is really hard. Innovation theater gives you the dopamine response of it feels like I'm doing something
0: but is not as dangerous as actually doing it. Speaking of dopamine responses, the fire process this is something that you are going to walk people through at the Innovation Summit. Can you tell us a little bit about Fire and the impact it potentially can make to financial services organizations?
1: We developed Fire just over five and a half years ago, and it stands for Fast, Iterative, Responsive Experiments. When you're doing something new... You can't rely so heavily on your past experience because you're just going to reproduce what you've been doing all along unless you force yourself out of those existing behaviors. And that's what science does. To push learning, we just don't reproduce what we already know to work. We do an experiment with the intent of, if it works or it doesn't work, we've learned something new. And so fast. How do we shorten the time between thinking about something and validating that it's worth going down that path? Iterative. We don't expect it to work perfectly right out of the box. How long was Gmail in beta? Over a decade? Because they said, hey, we know it's not going to work perfectly. What we want to do is get it out and iterate based on how our customers use it. Which brings us to responsive. We're not going to think our way to the right answer. We need to get these things into the hands of our customers. And instead of doggedly sticking to that five-year plan or the product roadmap that we committed to that our customers might not care about, we respond to what they say. And we evolve in that direction by doing continued experimentation along the avenues
0: that our customers tell us they get value. We as an industry cannot be siloed. We have to pull great ideas from everywhere. Just as a parting shop, I'm wondering where you pull some of these ideas from because it sounds like you've got a really rich background in terms of taking something from the startup world and something from how people behave, how they think. Let's just say I have a non-traditional career path, right,
1: and has allowed me to experience quite a bit and to begin to integrate parts of this what we do with Forge is we're not consultants. We don't come in and do a study for a bank and say, you tell us what your problem is, we'll go away and come back and tell you the right answer. We can't do that. We don't think that an outsider can. No one knows the bank as well as the people who work there. No one knows the customers as well as the people who serve them every day. Those are the people who understand really customer-driven pain points that need to be solved. And what we do is we actually bring them the tools and the frameworks they need to really go to solutions against that and to deploy those experiments to say, hey, this isn't going to be perfect, but let's try this and see if that
0: helps alleviate your pain. Tools, frameworks, deployment, and a sense of adventure. Can't wait to see what you do at the Innovation Summit. Jason, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Lou. Look forward to having the Innovation
1: Summit. For those who will attend, I can say when we take banks through our FIRE process, we hear repeatedly from executives that they accomplish more in those 48 hours than they typically do in four months. For anyone who sits through this, this is not you being spoken to. This is going to be very hands-on and expect to come away with tools and actual progress against the problems the banks face in those two days. Come out of
0: FIRE, you'll be smoking. I love it. <laughs> Jason Henricks is managing director for Fintech Forge. He is based in Chicago. Be sure to look for Jason on LinkedIn. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number 1. Embarking on a discussion about how to start down the innovation trail is the surest way to bring awkward silence to a meeting room. What's more, three of the greatest strengths that banks have, scalability, reliability, and deny for compliance, can actually trip up the journey before it starts. And while no one is saying to leave compliance concerns on a shelf, doing something new requires a mindset that's nimble and an openness to iterating as you go. Number two, the five-year plan may be hanging on in banking, but guess what? It's otherwise dead. Five years is simply too far given the light speed changes in technology and the larger business environment. Think about how you can constantly absorb and act on learnings as you go. And number three, for community banks, it's crucial to remember community is no longer geography. For starters, look at reaching out to affinity groups from meat producers to mobile homeowners as a narrow niche that you can come to understand and serve. Also, there's a core difference between personal touch and personalized. Remember that data can help you understand smart ways to tailor products to your most relevant demographics. Calling all innovators across retail financial services. The BAI Innovation Summit taking place in Boston October 8th through 10th will help you drive innovation and positively impact your bottom line. Register today at BAI.org. And now BAI Banking Strategies presents My 21-Year-Old Self, where our podcast guest talks about what they were like at 21, life as an emerging leader, and the advice they give themselves today. Before he became valuable to banking, Jason Hendricks was a vagabond, and that's the word he uses to describe himself. Here, Jason talks about how dropping out of college and seeing the world in his 20s also helped him to view things differently. Here's how he'd reassure that younger, exploring self today.
1: Well, you know, you'd asked earlier about background, and I joked around it being a non traditional career path. Well, at 21, I was actually a college dropout and unsure about what I was going to do with my life. And being, you know, from a family of modest means and a farm in the central Illinois area, I decided to pack my bags and went backpacking. And backpacking is the polite way to put it, but more or less I was a vagabond through Europe for several months just seeing the world and trying to figure out what to do with my life. And so if I think about so much of my 20s, I was hard on myself because I had this desire to explore and to do new things at a time when I was watching other classmates become investment bankers and consultants and, you know, do things that followed a trajectory that was well understood versus my desire was to learn new things in other paths. And I felt like that wasn't the right approach. It wasn't getting me ahead in the way that others were. And as I look back, though, I realized it's the richness of that experience allowed me to become a better innovator because I've seen so much more and so if anything i tell my 21 year old self that it's okay to explore don't get so frustrated that you're not on the same path as others and by the same token though pick those things that are working for me and double and triple down you can't just
0: you know float through life in that way thanks again for tuning into our podcast we hope to have you back with us very soon Be sure to check out our ever-growing archive of podcasts at BAI.org. Our producer, as always, is James Grady. Be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Lou Carloso, the Managing Editor at BAI. We'll see you soon. So long.